Uh, I have a son. His name's Aiden. Many of you know Aiden. If you don't know Aiden, he's awesome. Um, one of the things that makes Aiden awesome, you see, he hates that I do this, but um, Aiden is very competitive. I said, Aiden, what are you most looking forward to for youth camp this week? He said, the competitions. Because you're going to, you didn't say it that way. Yeah, that was my impersonation. Um, but it, with Aiden, he just kind of came out <laughs> into life. He just loves that. He's intense. He loves that. And so we went yesterday to see Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is the Fred Rogers uh, documentary. And um, Fred Rogers is a very uh, subtle man, quiet. He, he had high value in silence and slowness. And so we come out of the, out of the show yesterday, and Aiden goes, who do you think was better? Because this is, right, it's all competition. Fred Rogers or Mother Teresa? I was like, like, you know, that's really interesting. But but it's true, and it absolutely ties into what we're talking about in the whole in our gospel. Because Fred Rogers saw a need in in the media for children to understand that they are valuable. They have inherent value because, simply because they are children of God. And Mother Teresa found a need in India with the poorest of the poor to love them and to spend her whole life serving them. And so it's hard to answer that question. They both saw a hole and they both saw a need and they filled it. And so this uh, message series we're on, we're kind of loosely basing it off of a a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. And this book speaks to the the powerful uh, effects of poverty throughout our world. Um, last week, um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that. Um, last week, we looked at um, poverty and specifically maybe how it relates to orphans and the foster care system in our community. And I said, why am I even qualified to share this message with you? And I said, because I am comfortable in my life and I'm uncomfortable in my comfort. And then I said, I want you to join me in my discomfort. So, you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to hit this. I know I am. So, I pray that by the end of this uh, message series, by the end of each day, you're going to be able to look inside of you to find out what is it that stirs in you, what holes do you see around the world that you have been uniquely called and equipped to fill. Students, this message is for you as well. Fred Rogers' story began when he was, uh, he was a chubby kid. Um, growing up, he got made fun of. He was a sickly kid. And his, his desire to make sure that nobody ever felt that way started in his childhood. So I know it's hard. Students, I know that it is rough out there. You're going to go to camp this week. And I pray that you're going to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, to, um, to begin to live into that and see how God can use your hurts so that you can mend holes in your schools and in your families and in your neighborhoods. So, what is the hole in our gospel? Well, the hole is that there is um, the, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed isn't necessarily fully being shared by the church. That the church has, um, we've become comfortable. Some of us have become comfortable. And the evidence of that is that there is a lot of injustice in this world. Would you agree with me that there is a lot of injustice in this world? Um, the timing of this message is... Uh, it's interesting, given what is going on, the injustice that we, are, we can't even escape. And so um, I, I, I stand before you today as baffled and bewildered on how to fix it all, as we all feel. 
We just feel at a loss with how to make things better. But it starts with us, and it starts with the heart. And you're here today, so I believe that God can do a good work in you through what we're going to do here. So, so how do we fully live out the full gospel of Jesus Christ, right? How do we even know what God expects of us. If you, have follow, if you are following Jesus, if you have said Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the question is how do I obey what God has called me to? If you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, um, I've heard uh, Tony Campolo said, why don't you just fake it until you believe it? Just do the things that Jesus said, try it, and you'll see how amazing it can be. So how do we know what God told us, what God expects of us? Well, first and foremost, he gave us the Bible. And we know this. And God's will for us, um, what God expects of us, is revealed through the Old and the New Testaments. And in the prophets, we read about the heart of God. Did you know that God gave um, 17 books out of 66 books to the voice of the prophets? That's 20, over 25% of our Bible to the prophets. That's a lot. God has a lot to say and he used the voice of the prophets. Now, prophets were, uh, had a reputation for being kind of angry and, and, and grumpy because they were just afflicted with all of the needs and the injustice, and they cried out about out it, and um, they, they, they suffered for it. They were alone and lonely. But we probably should listen to what God has to say through the prophets. And so we've, uh, many of you are familiar with the scripture that Micah, um, that the voice of the prophet Micah wrote. I actually saw it on someone's arm, a tattoo this week. Um, in, um, so Micah says, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You've heard that before, Right? God expects us to act justly, to do justice. And there has been injustice since the beginning of time. He's been praying for it to stop. Um, God is the God of love and justice. Um, the, any notion of God's wrath being that he is um, unkind and unfair, God's wrath is in response to injustice because he loves his people so much. He's an angry or vengeful for fun. It is out of deep love for each of us. So the prophets had it heavy on their heart. Um, they lived and breathed the burden. They challenged the people, and he made them, they made them very uncomfortable. Um, we today are much like uh, the people that Micah was speaking to, because um, we also don't necessarily want to hear words that make us question how comfortable we are. And we don't want to hear how we might be contributing to the holes that we see in the gospel or the hole that we see in the gospel, uh, or in our world. We don't necessarily want to know the truth because the truth can make us uncomfortable. Uh, Micah 2, 11, he, he says this to his, uh, his people. He says, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for his people. Just the right prophet. What do you think he meant by that? What is, what is wine and beer? Is, what, what's the purpose of that? Is it meant to like motivate you and get you ready, inspired to go do great things? Or is it supposed to relax you and comfort you? He's saying you would much rather prefer a prophet to make you feel comfortable in how you are, to make you, uh, to preach maybe prosperity. And listen, there are pastors and there are churches out there who will, who will um, leave out, who will omit part of the gospel of Jesus just to let you hear what you want to hear. And we know who they are. They can, uh, the people flock to these churches and um, they've omitted part of the gospel. And I think omission of truth makes the whole a lie. 
omitting the truth is a lie. I mean, we teach that to our kids, right? You, you know that. We kind of leave out part of the whole truth. Um, it's a lie. And so I, I want you to know that I am committed to the whole truth, and I fail all the time in living it out. Um, but I believe it, and we get up and we, give, we get on with our lives, and we believe in God's grace. But the idea is that we love, uh, we do justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. But the people in the ancient times, they neglected the prophets. And so um, what did God do? He sent Jesus. And Jesus came on the scene, and he reached back to the prophet Isaiah, who had huge influence in, in their lives. And we talked about this last week. He came with his mission, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to carry on the mission that God started and that is to reconcile all of humanity back into a right relationship with God. And it's done by word, but it's also done by deed. The whole ministry of Jesus would rest on that. So, so if we know that, okay, we know the information, we've read it in the scripture, we've seen it lived out in the lives of the disciples and those uh, heroes of the faith who've gone before, why is there a hole? Like, what are we missing? Why is it still there? And I think it's either we don't know or we don't care what's expected of us. Either we don't know or we don't care where there is injustice. So I'm going to tell you a little story. Jesus uh, told this to his disciples, and it's about the rich man and Lazarus. Many of you guys have heard that story before. Um, it's in Luke 6, uh, chapter, it starts chapter 6, verse 9 through 31. And if you want to follow along with your Bible, if you brought it, you can, but I'll also have it up on the screen. So it says, There's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now let's pause for just a minute. Um, Jesus is setting a familiar stage to his audience then and now. And he's talking about the disparity of the wealthy and the poor. We see the rich man and the poor neighbor. The rich man has like, so, like an abundance. It says it's, it's just falling to the floor, a place where the dogs would eat the scraps. But the dogs are licking the sores. It's so uh, vivid. You can just almost picture it. And then we read on, it says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there to us. He says, and then he answered, he said, uh, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then they'll they'll get it. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is telling a lot in this story. I mean, it's packed. And there's a lot we can unpack from this right here. But I want to just um, hone in on this for just a second. Um, He is telling his disciples, you know the truth from the words of the prophets from the past, and I'm telling you the truth, and you will tell others the truth. But here, there will be people who will choose not to hear it. There will be people who will choose not to care for the least of these. There will be people that think they're entitled to all of the good that I've given them, rather than understand that they've been entrusted with all of the things. See, there's a difference between entitlement, being entitled to something, and being entrusted with it, to be given the gift of it from God. And he did these things in order to do the will of God. And God expects great things from his people. He expects of us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Okay, so how do we know that the rich man wasn't living this out? Well, let's think about this. Um, the problem is that he knew, he knew there was injustice. There's a rich man. He stepped over him each time, but he didn't care, right? Um, he was right in front of him. He had access to his neighbor. We talk about loving our neighbors, our immediate neighbors who live right around us. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the term neighbor is anyone you have access to. So with the, with the World Wide Web nowadays, like, we have access to everyone. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes that's not necessarily a good thing. But see, um, he had the resources. He had the resources to help his neighbor out, and he didn't. He, he didn't see to it that justice was acted out. He didn't show mercy. He didn't rescue him from the dogs licking his sores. And humility... Think about this. He's, um, he's, in, like, he's in Hades, and Lazarus is with Abraham, right? Even in Hades, the rich man is ordering Lazarus around. Did you catch that? He says, he says um, in Hades, he looked up, saw Abraham with Lazarus, and he said, to, um, he says to Abraham, send Lazarus to get me some water and cool my tongue. Like, how humble is that? Like, he's, he's already thinking he still is uh, better than Lazarus. Not at all humble. Not at all humble. Still trying to marginalize him. Even, even, even then, even then. See, God is expecting something different of his children. Both the rich man and Lazarus are worthy. They have inherent worth in God's eyes, and he loves them dearly. And he gave everything that they needed. Lazarus needed to depend on his brother, and his brother did not help him. And we would know that he helped him because we'd see it in his actions. The the story would have been different, right? If he had actually lived that out, the Lazarus would have stepped over, uh, the rich man would have stepped over Lazarus, and maybe, maybe one time, maybe two times, but then he would have realized there's something he can do, Right? I can help this man, bring him in his house, clean him up, make sure he's cared for and taken care of, but that isn't what happened. See, somehow Lazarus was other people's problem, OPP. (laughs) Showing my age there, I was about to sing, I know. 
either he didn't know or he didn't care that Lazarus was hurting. And I would say maybe um, for us as well, like we can't say we don't know that there's injustice. We can't escape it. We know there's injustice. And I'm, I'm even going to say that I think we care. I don't think we're this callous group of people who just don't care. I just think oftentimes it's just not personal. We don't care enough. It hasn't hit us in a place where we've just been moved to act. And, and, um, and so this hole in the gospel, this book that we've been reading, um, does a great job, and it's, it's a very convicting book. I really encourage you to read it because it helps open your eyes to some needs that are going on around us. But he points us to um, the great commandment that we're to love our neighbors. Um, and so he puts poverty in perspective for us. And uh, there's a bunch of statistics and figures that we could do, and they got a little uh, confusing. So I just pulled up this one quote for us, which we're going to... So it's talking about the, the way that... Um, this is just one sample of uh, the disparity between the haves and have-nots, the disparity between the rich man and Lazarus, uh, American Christians, and uh, worldwide poverty, okay? So this is kind of the uh, disparity here. He said, the total income of American churchgoers is $5.2 trillion. That's more than 5,000 billion. It would take just a little over 1% of the income. So think about your household income. Think about your paycheck. It would take 1% of the income of American Christians to lift the poorest $1 billion people out of extreme poverty. Said another way, American Christians who make up 5% of the church worldwide. So there's a 95% of the church worldwide. Do you understand the difference here? What, what we're talking about here? Okay, so they make up 5% of the church worldwide, control half of the global Christian wealth. A lack of money is not our problem. It's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. It's a priority problem. But we have enough. We have enough. It just hasn't become personal enough to us. We have, now, we have more money now than we have ever had in the history of humankind. We think a lot of times because we aren't feeling the effects of the poor that it isn't our problem, that we don't know how to fix it, and it's up to the government to fix things. That's not going so well. It's the government, but it's also us. We have the ability to make a huge change in our world. One of the stories that Rich tells in there is, um, and many of you have seen the pictures of poverty and what malnutrition looks like in babies, the distended bellies and, and um, how the agony that happens when they don't have access to proper nutrition. And we read, we've talked about having compassion fatigue and you see these pictures and I could, I have a whole host of videos we could show you in here, um, but I didn't want to use that time for that. I want you to go and do that research. But that, you read these statistics and you know there are just millions of children who are dying of hunger and you, and you hear it and it hurts you and it breaks your heart and then you move on. But imagine if you got up this morning and you went to walk out your front door and one of those babies was on your front doorstep. You would drop everything. You would make sure that baby got to the hospital, that it was fed. You would pour all of, you would, you would never, you wouldn't stop until this baby was cared for because it was put on your doorstep. So my question is, who's on our doorstep? Who's the Lazarus 
in your house, in our neighborhood? How are we going to make it personal? Because I believe that every single person in this room has been called by God, equipped by God to fill a very specific need where you live and where you are. And so as a church, we, we do our best. I mean, we, we, we set up uh, activities, we, we talk about it, we, we do studies, we pray, and, um, and, and so, but it's up to you. We can, only do, we can only do so much, right? Okay, so how is the global church responding to the needs of, of the poor in our world. So we talked about last week that um, World Vision, which is the book that this is written after, pours a lot of money into resources. The, um, the Covenant Church, which is the denomination we're a part of, um, supports ministry um, all over, and uh, Congo Kids is one of those that we are uh, committed to. Um, local church, this coming week, uh, not this coming week, and at Butler Mission Week, we are going to be going out and loving on our neighbors in our community. And the whole purpose of this is not for you to have another event or another thing to go to. The entire purpose of Butler Mission Week is for you to step out of your comfort zone and find ways to make the needs of others personal. That's the whole point. We pray that, it, yes, we're going to help others. That is absolutely the goal. But really what changes it is when you feel that need to change. So Kids Need to Eat is a ministry um, that was established to um, provide meals for kids during the summer. They, uh, their mission statement, they assist communities in overcoming barriers to children, having access to nutritious food that's needed for their bodies and their brains to reach their full potential. Uh, average of 170 kids are fed, fed daily in El Dorado in the summer months, and uh, children take home a weekend backpack with re- nutritional food items, and baby food and diapers are offered as well. And we are going to serve this ministry over uh, that week in Butler Mission Week. Also, Numana is an organization based in El Dorado. Uh, formed in 2008 as an international hunger relief organization. Many, many of you have heard about Numana. Their first food packaging event was held in El Dorado in 2009. And since then, um, with the help of over 212,000 volunteers, they've packaged more than 40 million meals that have served the hungry around the world. It's a story of, of a, an organization that has a heart for meeting the needs of those who are in need. So we are going to get involved with Numana. We are going to package 5,000 meals here in this room on the Thursday of Butler Mission Week. We need people to come here, join us, but we're going to take it a step further. And that evening, we are going to share in a Numana meal as well. And so we are going to take what we're preparing and we are going to ask whoever wants to be a part of it to come back and we are going to share in that meal, experience what it's like to have that nutrition offered and nothing else. And we're going to pray and worship together. And so another part of Butler Mission Week, another great thing for you to um, allow your comfort to be disrupted. See, you might be sitting here thinking that you aren't qualified or you're too busy or that you don't have enough resources, or that caring for others is just someone else's problem, that it's not your thing. Mission service isn't your thing. But you are called and equipped to do it. 
you have enough time and you have enough talent. We just got to figure out what it is. And I know it's scary. It's hard to, uh, it's much easier to stay in our own little bubble. Uh, that's a safe. We feel comfortable in our little bubble. It's easier to step over Lazarus than to, to disrupt the status quo in our house. But the thing about bubbles is they eventually pop. Actually, the fun of a bubble is watching it pop. That's why they were created. Pop. What are you going to do? I mean, you can actually have an effect on the bubble that you're living in. So if you're comfortable, if you're uncomfortable with the message that you've heard today, I want to challenge you to lean into the discomfort. Ask God why you feel it. What, what is it that's stirring in you that makes you feel uncomfortable? Look at, that, look at your life and how you are relating with God. How's it going? What's working? What's not working? What causes you the greatest stress and anxiety when you think about serving others? I didn't get in touch with that. Ask God, you know, show me, God, where, where am I not feeling this? And go to God in prayer. I mean, through prayer, we have a communication avenue with God. And he can help you. He can help you show. He can help show your heart and see what his heart. And eventually, we can find the things that break the heart of God that we can step in and heal. And if you are comfortable right now, there are plenty of you in this room who have no problem serving. You love serving. You love mission. You're like, sign me up. Um, We need you. You're like the champions. You model it for us. We need to watch you in action. We need to be inspired by you. I mean, when you see other people doing things they love, it just makes you want to get on board too. So we need you to join into the, in this effort as well. Um, and finally, um, don't, don't respond out of guilt. I pray that that is not the message you hear. Jesus doesn't want us to follow him because we feel guilty or because we have to. The reason Jesus calls us to this kind of life is because he made us, you know, knows what, what will bring an actual full, abundant life, and that is the whole gospel, the whole truth, that I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I love my neighbor as myself. And when I do that, I will experience life to the fullest. And that is what Jesus promised. And that is the good news. And that is why we are here today. Let's pray. Oh, good and loving God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for seeing us on the margins. We thank you for healing our hurts. Thank you for all of the blessings in our lives. Thank you for entrusting us with so much. We ask that you give us the courage to step out in faith, to do justice to those on the margins, to disrupt our comfortable lives with holy discontent, that we see the Lazarus on our front doorstep. Give us the courage to act justly, to seek mercy, and walk humbly with you. As we give this morning of our gifts that you've given us, we ask that you use them to further your kingdom here on earth. We love you and we honor you and we worship you in all that we are and all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, If I could call our ushers forward, we're going to collect the uh, morning offering at this time and also the connect cards. And you'll notice on the connect card, on the back of that, there is a place for you to check with, uh, check on the, 
a place for you to mark for Butler Mission Week. And you can say, yes, I am planning on serving, or yes, I've already signed up to serve. Um, We kind of need to know if you're planning on doing anything right now. Um, We're trying to make plans and make commitments to some organizations. And so what will happen is if you check that box, we will, will, uh, will, uh, will register you, and then you can tell us what day and time or if any of that works for you. Students. Sixth grade through twelfth grade, we have the mission week part of that. That is the overnight uh, part of aftershock. Shock. We're going to be sleeping at the church. We have a camp speaker coming in. It's going to be great. Here's the thing: we need at least fifteen twenty kids, and you have a week to let us know. If we don't have fifteen twenty kids, doesn't mean we're not going to serve. But the whole like sleeping at the church and that whole piece, we we're not going to be able to do. And so, if you're planning on coming, being here for that mission week for us, let us know, please. Um, please do not let money be an obstacle. You just let us know you're planning. We'll work it all out, okay? Um, but I, we need we need to know that we need your to, to sign up today. Um, and also, uh, adults, it really, two, two hours, three hours, you, by say, saying you want to be a part of it does not mean you're committing to the whole week either. But you can, and I, I uh, encourage you to try to do that. It's going to be an amazing week, and uh, I hope you will join us.